0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Ramsey gets the snap, looks left, holds, now steps up, puts a pass off to Wattfiller, picks up, intercepted Alex Davis. Alex Davis gets the deflected ball, picks it off, Huskers have it at the 27-yard line. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Yep, we're here. Mick Steiner's here. We're told Brett Whitty's here. We're all ready to roll for another three hours tonight, right? Is Brett here? I believe he is, yeah. Glad he made it. Absolutely. Ready to engineer this one tonight. Keep the train on the track. Yep, that's an important job to have back there. We're glad you're with us here on a Friday night as we wrap up the week. No Husker football tomorrow. The Big Red with their second bye week of the 2019 season. Back in action next Saturday at home against the Wisconsin Badgers. We'll find out on Sunday what the kick time is. It will either be at 11 a.m. or 2.30 next week. But there is Husker sports for you to get to attend tomorrow as the Husker basketball team back on the hardwood as they entertain Southern Utah, 1 o'clock at PBA. Pre-game coverage here on the network begins at noon tomorrow. We'll hear some clips from Fred Hoiberg's press conference from earlier today. We'll do that in hour number two. But with the bye week for the Huskers, the staff has been pretty involved in recruiting. There's been offers that have flown out the door this week to young men that are eligible to sign this year and even some for next year they've gotten some offers out to some 2021 20, student athletes to try to get start working ahead of the game a little bit and now most, a lot of the staff out tonight watching high school football around the country we do know that the head coach Ben was up in the Omaha area yesterday visiting several different schools up there making the rounds and pretty rare to have the head coach out this time of year you know that scott frost is out a lot in december and january but pretty rare but because of the bye week and no practice yesterday he was able to scoot out of town and and go visit some folks just get in the car and go up and see some guys in omaha
1: yeah um awfully nice to to be able to, to put that personal touch on these guys that you've been keeping in contact with through text and facetime and um you know just some of the other other ways to communicate and you know to be able to go there and, and put some FaceTime in is a great thing and use that bye week to your advantage and you know I was thinking about this yesterday I wonder if he's got like a stopwatch on his phone or you know how that works because you know he was a lot of different places he was. and and you know going through and spending that time there and you know seeing all those kids at, at different times seemed like a a heck of a chore, but you know you have to give those guys a lot of credit for the work that they put in this week. There was a shot of him
0: petting a dog. Was that at Creighton Prep? It looked like it, yeah. Something he was doing. I mean, yeah, he was he was out doing all that uh, yesterday. So a lot of the coaches at high school games were certainly the playoff round here in Nebraska. We've made the uh, the quarterfinal round, particularly for uh, classes A, B, and, and the Cs, and I'm guessing the Ds are also in the quarterfinal round as well. Uh, We will have later here on some of these same Husker Sports Network stations, the High School Scoreboard Show, later on tonight after we wrap up business at 9 o'clock. But a fun time of year, a lot of excitement in those towns and those communities and those schools that are still fighting for a state championship here in the state of Nebraska and across the country. Probably a lot of states are now into playoff football, and so the Husker staff out and about getting ready for that. There are some pretty interesting matchups in college football uh, that will be taking place tomorrow. We'll have our Choices Treatment Center Big Ten picks coming up in hour number two. Ben will set the complete lineup for you in our weekend preview in hour number three. Uh, but Ohio State got some interesting news today, Ben. Chase Young, their outstanding defensive end, maybe the best player in the country, maybe the number one pick coming up in next spring's NFL draft. He is going to be held out of the game tomorrow for the Buckeyes. Apparently, he accepted a loan from a friend of the family uh, sometime in his past. And so Ohio State has self-reported that to the NCAA. And they are putting Chase Young on ice for the game with Maryland while they await word back from the NCAA if there needs to be further penalties handed down to Chase Young. What do you make of this story?
1: Yeah, certainly interesting. Um, You know, woke up and um, saw the tweet today. From Chase Young about uh, an NCAA eligibility issue, and you know, you look at what the situation means and um, how this all even came about is definitely interesting. And I and I think we're still kind of waiting on some details of of what exactly the infraction is. Um, it was Mark Schlebaugh was the one that reported it from ESPN, and the quote was a potential undisclosed violation of NCAA rules. Now. Chase Young pretty much clarified what, what the uh, infraction mm-hmm. would be about in his tweet, uh, taking a loan from a family friend. That's that's not a booster or uh, any affiliation with the Ohio State University. But, um, yeah, the timing of this to me is, is the interesting part because according to uh, the tweet that he put out and, and everything that we're getting, this is something that they knew of and it happened in the summer. And he obviously knew of all fall uh you begin to wonder why now why are you trying to put this at, getting out in front of this right now and i i to, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that the next big question is how long is he out for is it one game is it two games is it the rest of the year um you know i i don't really know what, what the situation is going to be he will be a top 5 overall draft pick coming up in the NFL draft so i'm sure that's kind of weighing on his mind a little bit right now but Certainly not the news Ohio State wanted to hear a few days after being the number one team in the country.
0: I did read this afternoon that something similar happened in the past in college football to somebody, and it was a two-game suspension. Ha-ha Clinton Dix from there you Alabama. Go. There you go. So maybe Ohio State's going, all right, here's the precedent, two games. Maryland and Rutgers. That's who they play the next two weeks. <laughs> Does it change your opinion on who will win those two games if Chase Young is not able to play?
1: Yeah, I'll have to look at that Rutgers game a little closer after okay. uh, after that, but I'll, I'll get back to you. Study that. Yep.
0: You might you – might, um...
1: no, you won't. If Chase Young no, you went won't. and played for Maryland, who is his home state team, by the way, and went and played for Rutgers, it still wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. No, it would not.
0: Also, earlier today, reports kind of surfaced up that a guy who is a – Prime candidate, apparently, for Florida State is the primetime player himself, Dion Sanders, who really hasn't coached. I think he's maybe done some work with a high school team. And uh, Terrific athlete, great Florida State alum, played football, baseball, did it at the major league and NFL level, obviously, has been a broadcaster really for the last 15, 20 years. But there looks like there's some seriousness to this that – Deion Sanders might be a prime candidate to succeed Willie Taggart, who was fired here in the last week at Florida State.
1: Is this serious? I I think it is. You know, he spent a lot of time around that program, uh, you know, being involved. So I know he's around that campus. But like if I'm a Florida State fan, I'm going, what are we, what are we doing? You know, he has uh, the only coaching experience he has, as far as I know, is youth football. So it's not like he's even um, you know, been an assistant at the college level or anything like that. You would think after a couple of failed experiments since Jimbo Fisher, you would want something a little more solid and and less of a risk than what Deion Sanders would be. If you wanted to bring him on as a re- recruiting coordinator or – Uh, some type of recruiting position, I think that would be a great move. But head football coach, I'm not sure. You know, people
0: made fun of the Herm Edwards hire two years ago at Arizona State. But Herm Edwards had been a head coach in the National Football League. I mean, that's a pretty good resume. And, and, you know, he'd been out of the game so long. And I think that's why people really made fun of that hire, which has actually turned out okay. ASU's been fine. They made a bowl game Last year, they probably will make postseason play. This year, with with Coach Edwards, they've had some nice wins. He's he beat Michigan State back-to-back years. That one was, I think, a lot of us felt like it was a stretch because he never coached in college, but he'd been a head coach in the. This one, like you said, youth sports is all Deion Sanders has on his resume. I, I, I don't I mean, I can't. Let me just. I hope they do it. I hope they do it. Selfishly, I'd love to kind of see it because I think it would be a complete train wreck. <laughs> it's hard to, like, where would he go to hire a staff, you know? <laughs> Who would go? Yeah, yeah. where's his – what wealth does he have to put a staff together? I, I don't know.
1: Obviously, the many people think he would flourish in recruiting, but, but would he, though? Like, obviously, the name brand and, and him just being around – high school athletes would be really exciting but you know would you trust somebody like that to put you in a position both on and off the field to to have a life beyond college and I think that would be uh be the big question that other schools would would you know recruiting battles with Florida State would have to think about but yeah I'd color me shocked when I saw that today I
0: Joining us now on our Sports Nightly Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline. You've been busy, Mr. Klaus, this week from huskeronline.com. He covers all the recruiting angles. And the staff has been busy, right? I mean, without a game to plan for for Saturday, they've been uh, putting a lot of extra attention into recruiting.
2: Yeah, they've been really busy this week. Um, and and that's something that we anticipated, you know, and, and something that they don't always get to do, you know, with having two bye weeks. I think they've been able to kind of organize their efforts and their 1st bye bi-week was spent kind of checking in on on their commitments for the most part and and then this this bi-week in particular has been spent um, you know evaluating a lot of a lot of players uh, a lot of a lot of high school junior college players and even circling back around and, and checking in on their high-value 2021 targets that they've already offered. So um, it's been really, really busy on that front, and uh, it has resulted in, in a number of, of new offers, both uh, the 2020 high school and JUCO guys uh, and even some, some underclassmen from really all over across the country.
0: So they have started to kind of look toward 2021 as well, correct?
2: yes they have and 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 for the most part you know i think those are really high priority guys that um you know players that are going to become national type recruits if they haven't already and so you know, they, they obviously still have plenty to do for 2020, but I think the, the players that they've offered for 2021, for the most part, are, are guys that you, you want and need to kind of get in on, uh, on the ground floor uh, or at least get in on early enough to, to really kind of have a chance and start to build a relationship and not get left behind in, in that process.
0: Nate, you look at the 13 commits for this class, and it looks like there's a, a lack of linebackers. And you look at the current <laughs> roster, and I don't know how much helps waiting in the wings there how much of an emphasis are you seeing the staff put on trying to to get a couple of linebackers yet in this class
2: yeah that's definitely a priority position for them uh, as they kind of get closer to that December signing period where you know that's with the way things are now that's that's kind of the period where 90 percent of recruits are signing now and so um you know they're, they're creeping in on that and and I think that Um, they've got a handful of linebackers that they really like that have already visited. And so I think they'd really like to ultimately close in on some of those guys, but we have also seen, you know, some more junior college offers go out to some linebackers. Tyrus Wheat out of the the Mississippi junior college ranks is a player that they just offered Uh, Jamoy Hodge out of independence community college. Uh, And both of those guys are intriguing because, They could play outside or inside, Uh, and and really, I think when you look at the roster, you know, they find some really uh, impressive linebackers in last year's class, but they're young. You know, the true freshmen, Nick Henrich and Jackson Hanna and and Garrett Snodgrass and and even Luke Reimer, the walk-on, you know, those guys have been – I think impressive, but they're still young. And so I, I think that they ultimately would like to kind of sprinkle in some more uh, seasoned players there from the junior college ranks to kind of help that, help that process, especially when you look at, you know, you're going to be losing a guy like Muhammad Barry there. So um, yeah, definitely the linebacker position is, is one that, that they're kind of all hands on deck. You know, we're seeing Barrett Rouge, Javon DeWitt, Ryan Held. Um, you know, a lot of other coaches that are all kind of helping out and recruiting some of those linebackers right now.
0: Update is, Nate, on the wide receiver position for this 2020 class. I know they have a couple of commits in that position. Are they done, or do you think they'll add a couple of more wide receivers?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think they're, we're going to see them add at least two more wide receivers to this class. Obviously, already have Xavier Betts, the, the dynamic playmaker out of Bellevue West, um, you know, who's a top 100 prospect regardless of position in the country. Uh, and and then you've got Will Nixon out of Waco Midway High School who's having a terrific senior year as well. Uh, but I think they would like to add at least two more, you know, with the departure of, of Miles Jones, um, depending on how the numbers shake out, maybe even three more in this class. But uh, from what I'm seeing, you know, it, it seems like, Size is, is definitely a priority, uh, and maybe even a junior college wide receiver that's, that's got some height and, and a bigger build to them uh, is, is definitely a priority. Omar Manning out of Kilgore Junior College in Texas, 6'3", 6'4", about 220 pounds. Uh, he, is, he has been a top priority for them and kind of remains so right now. They just offered Xavier Hutchinson. Out of the out of Blinn Junior College in Texas too, who's six three, two hundred pounds, uh, is an impressive athlete. Can he's a, he's a guy who can stretch the field, but also kind of win those fifty fifty balls on the outside too. And, and that's kind of what they're missing this year. I think that's something that that uh, you know they really miss when once Stanley Morgan graduated. So they've uh, got LeVon Bunkley Shelton, who's a four star high school prospect. Out of, uh, out of Los Angeles that's visiting for the Wisconsin game um, and, and a couple other high school kids too. But definitely a, if they could get a, a bigger body wide receiver as far as, uh, you know, one of those last one or two spots in the class, that would be a, a huge gift for them.
0: Nate Klaus with us from HuskerOnline.com. We're talking Husker recruiting. Can they go above the 25 number that you're allowing? Is there any, any ability to count back with this group? Yeah, there is. Um,
2: And I kind of expect them to do that. I think 26 is the max that we'll see in this year's signing class. And, um, you know, and I think ultimately, you know, when you've got 26 to work with, probably see them sign anywhere from 20, 23 to 24, and and maybe keep a couple in their back pocket to use for the transfer portal. Um, You know, and I think that's, you know, with, with as popular as that, as the transfer portal has become, that's just one more layer that's kind of changed recruiting here over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think that I think that's something you kind of have to account for, uh, you know, at this point in, this, in the game. And, and so I, I think that once December or, or certainly once February rolls around, we'll probably see 24, uh, 23, 24 signees with with the ability to, to still grab a couple uh, a couple guys via the the
0: transfer market, where do they sit right now in the national rivals picture?
2: Right now, with only thirteen commits in this class, they sit with the number thirty eight ranked class. Okay. Um, and to put that in perspective, you know, there's there's nobody has fewer commits that's in the top sixty right now. So for each guy that they add to this recruiting class going forward, that's really going to they're going to make up a lot of ground uh, in those rankings. And so uh, they have a great core class right now. Uh, they, they still have by the time that that brings around. So I think we're going to see a time uh, really probably starting next week leading up to the Wisconsin game where they're going to have quite a few visitors in and um, in, in from there all the way up until that, that December signing date. Uh, we're going to see this, this recruiting class kind of continue to climb up the rankings with each commitment.
0: Yeah, Nate Klaus, with us from HuskerOnline.com. December eighteenth is the day of that signing period, the early signing period for college football. We heard that Scott Frost was visiting some schools around the Omaha area yesterday. Any idea where he is tonight, and where some of the other coaches are?
2: Yeah, you know that was really impressive uh, to to see Scott Frost out in the Omaha metro area, and even in in western Iowa, some too. Uh, Something that we, you know, I don't really recall. The last time during the season where we saw a head coach kind of, kind of make the rounds like that, it was at Bellevue West, Omaha Westside, Creighton Prep, Burke. Um, you know, even in uh, Council Bluffs, Lewis Central, and and uh, Fremont Mills, Iowa. There, so seeing a bunch of 2020 and 2021 targets, uh, I do not know where Coach Frost is going to be at tonight. Um, you know, it's it's starting to get to the point now where. Uh, you only you only get so many in-person evaluations during the season, and when you have two bye weeks, uh, you're if you do it right, you're certainly going to use all those evaluations. So uh, I'm not sure if if they still have some evaluations in their back pocket to to use uh, for Coach Frost being out tonight or not. But uh, we, you know I'm I'm sure if he is out and about, we're we're definitely going to hear about it.
0: All right. How about any any idea where some of the other guys are? Yeah, Javon DeWitt is in
2: Florida, in South Florida. Um, you know, Tony Tuioti has been really from all over the country. Uh, I think that he's made his way out west uh, where he started on the East Coast earlier this week. Um, Ryan Held has been uh, down in the south. Uh, and I think that he's in Texas tonight. And so, um, you know, those are just a couple of the coaches. I think Travis Fisher is also in South Florida as well. So, um, yeah, those are a handful of coaches where, where we know where, where they're at right now.
0: Very good. All right, Nate, we appreciate it. It's been a while since we've had you on, but I know this busy time for you as we get closer to December 18th and obviously a busy week for the Oscar staff because without having to worry about a game plan, they certainly could dive a lot deeper into the uh, recruiting pool. We appreciate it. We'll certainly be uh, tapping on you a few more times before we get to December 18th.
2: All right, sounds good, Greg. Thank you.
0: Pretty rough opener for Fred Hoiberg's guys. Get beat by UC Riverside the other night at Pinnacle Bank Arena. It was just the ball
1: was not going in the basket on Tuesday night. No, sometimes it's that easy, right? It's, that's what it comes down to. is if, if the ball's going in, you've got a chance to win. If it's not, it's not. But there are plenty of more issues with the team uh, in that first game. Coach Hoiberg got a media availability today. And of course, uh, one of the first questions asked was how his team responded this week following the loss.
3: Uh, I thought we had a couple of good days of, of work. Um, you know, I had a long meeting with the players yesterday, just about some things that you know I felt needed to be uh, cleaned up. And uh, I thought we responded and came out on the on the, on the court and, uh, and did some good things. Um, you know, but that doesn't mean anything unless we carry that over uh, to tomorrow and, and uh, the games the rest of the season. You can talk about it all you want, uh, come out here in the practice court with nobody here and do it the right way. Uh, but unless you do it, uh, you know, once the lights turns on, it's for nothing. So. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, as I talked about with this group, you know, the biggest thing that we wanted to see was how we responded to adversity. And uh, we did not do it well the other night. So, uh, you know, it's a learning opportunity for our group, and hopefully we go out and do it better uh, tomorrow because we're going to get hit with it. This is a long, athletic, uh, fast team. with great turnovers, uh, very good on the
1: glass. And, you know, if, uh, if we don't go out there with the right mentality, um, you know, it's going to be a tough, tough day for us. Yeah, he kind of hit on the point that's lingered with me since, since the game this week, and that's handling adversity. Team hasn't shown the ability to do that at all really so far, and I mean, you're going to face it every single time you're on the floor, and they will see it tomorrow too. It's about trying to find somebody, I think, to, to calm the storms a little bit, and I don't know who that's going to be. I don't, I don't think the coaches quite know who that's going to be. Well, Coach Hoiberg addressed that. Which guys can provide the vocal leadership for this team? I think we need to do it by by committee.
3: Um, you know, Hanif has has been there. He's, he's played in the NCAA tournament, the only guy on this active roster uh, that's done that. Uh, Derek Walker is the other player uh, that did it with Tennessee uh, the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, everybody's got to step up and do their part. And, uh, you know, there's got to be tough conversations uh, within your team, and you got to handle it the right way. Uh, you know, those are things that every team goes through, and it has to be handled the right way. And that's what we're looking for here moving forward.
1: Yeah, and that can be a hard thing, you know. You got a, a team locker full, locker room full of new players, and everybody wants to be liked, and everyone wants to be fit in. That, that's not the easiest thing to do. Is raise the raise your voice and, you know, be afraid to upset some people, especially when you're trying to build that chemistry. Can Cam Mack be that guy? Maybe. I mean, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I just don't know him well enough to know if he can be a he's, a guy to gather him up and go. He's a soft-spoken guy. I w- I would say he's not quite as as shy uh, as Glenn Watson was, but um, yeah, being vocal isn't something that I think uh, is natural for him. Coach Hoiberg did address, too, what needs improvement from, uh, from game one. Uh, well, a lot of things. We need to do a better job.
3: Uh, you know, I thought we really pressed once, uh, you know, once they hit us with, uh, with the haymaker. We, we got off to a very good start. We got up nine uh, right out of the gate. And then you know when things slowed down, when they started making shots, and they started controlling the tempo. I thought we tried to come back and and get it all back at once. And you know it's a process. You got to take it possession by possession. You're not going to go out there and get it all at once, but you have to continue to play the right way. Uh, So you know that's something that uh, that we worked on these last couple days. And we again we had two good days of practice, but that doesn't mean anything unless we carry it over to the game tomorrow.
1: Yeah, that's something that worries me too. You know, with this with this team, you know, and you get down eight, are you going to try and hit an eight point basket? You know, obviously, there is no such thing, but you you get the idea. Um, you know that's something that that they're going to need to account for. You got to play well over, you know, several minutes and not just one or two trips down the floor to get back into a game. And the competition is only going to keep getting better and better. Yep. You know, they're going to see a lot of teams a lot better than what they did Tuesday night. Well, we talked a little bit about adversity. Coach Wayberg talked about creating that in practice. Yeah, you, you always try and manufacture adversity in practice. That's, that's a big part of it, to see how they handle
3: it. And, uh, you At know, times they handle it really well, at times they don't. And, uh, you know, it's about going out there and doing it on the floor. That's why it was so important the first time it happened to see how we responded to it. It, it didn't go well. So, uh, you know, it's about going from here. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that game on Tuesday night. It's about how we respond uh, going out tomorrow afternoon and, and,
1: uh, and what we do the rest of the season. Huskers shot nearly thirty threes. They did so in the exhibition as well. Uh, obviously, Kevin Cross as a as a five took some threes and. But they were open. Yeah, and, and so you know, shot selection is something that Coach Hoiberg addressed today as well. Well, I, uh, I thought we had some really
3: good looks, and, and I thought we had, we had three possessions where we took a shot without a pass or with one pass, and those were three bad shots. Two, step, two were step backs, and one was a quick one uh, coming down to transition. Um, you know, they had a game plan to basically say, uh, you know, we're going to let, let the five men beat us. And, you know, Kevin had great shots. We'll take those every day of the week. Kevin's a very good shooter. Uh, you know, it's one of the things we really liked about him. in The recruiting process was his versatility, his ability to handle it and his ability to knock down perimeter shots. And, you know, he was right there. I mean, every single one of those uh, in the first half, you know, barely grazed the back iron. And, you know, those were, you know, it's a game of inches and inches going in. Um, so, yeah, we talked to Kevin about shooting those and, and you know, putting a, got you know, you gotta, as a shooter's mentality to, you know, Think the next one's going in, so you know. Again, we shoot a lot in practice. We shoot more with this team probably than I ever have with any team. And you know, it's, it, again, it's, it's about going out there and doing it when the lights are on. They made
0: six of their first seven, and then went three for twenty. And, and I don't remember a lot of ones where like, "Oh, why'd you shoot that?" The cross ones were wide open, Ben, and he obviously has the green light to do that. You make a couple of those, and that game
1: probably is different when it gets all said and done. Yeah, he does have the ability to knock down that shot. Well, a couple of new parts of this. You talked about one already, Cam Mack. The other, Gervais Green, junior college players for the Huskers in the program and making that transition over to Division One and very soon in the Big Ten Conference. How has that transition gone? Here's the head coach.
3: Yeah, well, it is. It's a huge transition uh, to jump up to this level. And again, we don't have a lot of guys that have played uh, at this level at this time. You even look at Deshaun Burke, who, who had a, a good year at Robert Morris. Uh, you know, but you know, going out and playing against. Um, you know, this level of talent, uh, you know, something that's a big adjustment. So, um, you know, again, it's it's going to be some ups and downs throughout this. And, you know, we saw some good and, and obviously a lot of bad the other night, but it's just something we got to learn from and get better from and, and continue to go out here and grind and, and try to get it right. And, and that uh, that was our main focus here uh, these last couple of days. And I hope we come out and respond with great effort early uh, in this new world.
1: And the team that they're going to have to do that against is Southern Utah. And that's a team that, is very long, very athletic, very quick. Um, and, you know, that's a worry with something that Nebraska is going to try and take advantage of, which is the transition game that UC Riverside did a great job taking away from Nebraska. It was their ability to get up and down the floor and uh, get easy buckets. UC Riverside did a good job taking that transition away. Will that transition game be successful against a team like Southern Utah? Here's Fred Hoybert
3: well we'll see we'll see how it goes you got to get the rebound first these guys are really long and athletic and and they go you know they go after it and if we don't have a conscious effort to hit a body and and keep them off the glass uh we're not going to be able to get out in transition you know it's kind of what happened the other night early on we were getting stops we were getting deflections we got our transition game going and then they slowed down they made a tempo and, and we struggled to get anything uh in the open court the rest of the game um so you know, this is, a, this is a good team. It's a well-coached team. And we need to uh, come out with, with great energy early. And, uh, and if we don't, they're going to they're gonna,
1: they're gonna slap us in the face. Going to be a test tomorrow. I mean, uh, the, right now, it's about Nebraska's side. Go, you know, hopefully play better and execute on a much higher level.
0: I think they will. I, I just think this team kind of a, probably had a bit of an out-of-body experience the other night. And and, and once it, they didn't make shots, they got frustrated, Hopefully they've learned from that. I think I think you'll see a better effort. I think you'll see some more shots go through the basket tomorrow, and hopefully they get their first win tomorrow, get this thing even back up at one apiece. That'd be great. Pretty good NFL game
1: last night between the Raiders and the Chargers. I bet Ian Rappaport saw that game. I bet he was paying attention to that. And time to talk some NFL now, as we do each and every Friday with our friend Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. Ian, let's start with last night, AFC West match. I really thought the Chargers were primed to, to turn a corner uh, after playing well last week against the Packers and and having an opportunity last night, and obviously things didn't go that way, Oakland turns around and, and gets the win. What type of win was that for Oakland?
4: Well, I'd say first on the Chargers, I was surprised because I thought they played well. I mean, not all the way well, because Phillip Rivers played terrible. But Otherwise, their defense was tough. I thought they covered pretty well. They made life hard for Derek Carr, and Melvin Gordon look great. All of those things, um, and then just because Philip Rivers kept throwing interceptions, you know they they obviously lost another one, and certainly a tough one. And for the Raiders, you know they were the ones catching those interceptions, so certainly they get the. But you know it's interesting because they had all the stuff that happened at the beginning of the year with Antonio Brown. Um, they had all these sort of disenchantment with John Gruden in my off and my offseason. It's like everybody kind of forgot about them. And kind of slowly, they work themselves back into the conversation. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but they're very much in playoff contention now. And, you know, the Chiefs get Patrick Mahomes back this week to make them better. And they need to keep winning because the Raiders are kind of right on their heels.
1: When you look at the Raiders franchise, you know, there's not a lot of names that, that stand out in terms of you know, star power, right? Max Williams at pass rusher, uh, you know, they, they make something out of nothing with Darren Waller. Tyrell Williams comes over from the team he just played against, and they, they have this rookie Josh Jacobs who didn't get a ton of work at, at Bama. Is this, is this truly a, a good coaching job that's being done with some of these guys? Is this, is this how they're winning through coaching, or are these guys actually talented?
4: I think there's some really, really good coaching going on. And, you know, John Gruden's a good coach. I mean, now as a personnel man, he has not been good. So when he's struggled, it's because the talent basically fell apart around him. Hopefully that does not happen this time because he's got better people around him. But, you know, they got Paul Gunther as a defensive coordinator. He is really good. And, you know, he's someone who would be considered and may be considered, again, a head coaching candidate. He's done a great job with a really young and sort of undermanned, um, you know, undermanned defense. And, you know, offensively, you're right. I mean, it's not something that it's, – it's not a high-powered team, but, you know, Gruden has put a seed over and over. I thought that the touchdown last night, two touchdowns, one, the Josh Jacobs throwing up the middle, and two, the throw to the fullback, both could have been completed by anyone. They were just so perfectly drawn up. I thought they did a really nice job.
1: Yeah, let's go to the other, the other sideline and talk about that offense with Phillip Rivers. Let's just start there. What's the Chargers' long-term plan at quarterback? I mean, obviously they're going to ride this Phillip Rivers thing out for as long as possible, but I mean they, they probably got to think about drafting one soon, don't you think?
4: Yeah, I mean, they've actually thought about drafting one um, in the last several years. They did all the quarterback work. They did all the workouts. They looked hard at them. They just never could quite find one that was in their sweet spot. Uh, for them, and you know, part of the problem has been they're drafting all the way up, you know, in the twenties, which makes it hard to find a quarterback. Um, Rivers is in the final year of his deal. You know, he has told me, he came on my podcast earlier in the season that you know he wants to play next year, and he believes he's in a good position to play next year. Well, that is interesting, but I would be, I, I'm just a little curious, uh, honestly, kind of which way it goes because. You know he's going to be 38, and if they draft a young kid, is he going to be in a position to compete against compete for his job? Like, I have a lot of questions going forward there.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be fascinating to follow a guy who's been uh, in San Diego now Los Angeles so much. I want to I want to get into the running back dynamic for that franchise as well. Uh, obviously, Melvin Gordon was a holdout. Austin Eckler played great, you know, really up until they brought Melvin Gordon back. You could tell they really tried to feed Gordon the ball and just really wasn't productive at all, uh, but starting to get his legs back a little bit. Do you, do you suppose that the, the Chargers are, are doing everything they can to, to get the ball to Melvin and make this thing work? Or, you know, is it, is it going to be a, a by-production thing later in the season? If Eckler's more productive, he may get more snaps.
4: Yeah, I think it'll be by production, but there were, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Chargers. Obviously they basically have to be flawless from this point out, but the fact that Melvin Gordon has looked like his old self, not just this game, but the game before that, that is something really good. You know, like that is, I would say that is exactly where you want to be because last night he ran downhill. He tough yards. He was productive. I think gained over a hundred yards. Um, you know you he is your starting running back for a reason I think <clears throat> I think Eckler came in and performed awesome but you know Melvin is the starter and I think he probably showed that last night.
1: Yeah and we'll continue to monitor that as well. Well, you stick in the AFC West. You mentioned it. Patrick Mahomes uh, sounds like he's good, good to roll this week. You know what, what, what from that situation that you've been able to gather, you know, and um, you know, you've seen Matt Moore didn't hadn't played bad the last few weeks, but the dynamic that he brings to the chiefs and you know, what, what, what are just, you know, the people that you talked to in the Kansas city office, you know, with, with surrounding Patrick Mahomes and coming back from this injury, what that could do for this franchise, but at the same time, Andy Reed as well.
4: Well, I I think the great thing about Patrick Mahomes, first of all, is that when he went out, they went one and one. You know, it's not like they lit the world on fire, but they won a game. That is important and essential because the really good teams go out and play without their best players and still get it done. So the fact that they were able to do that, um, you know, is is really awesome. And, you know, as far as having Mahomes back, I mean, they are now a complete team. Like, I'd be curious – how much risk he's at. I'm not, I'll be asking you to kind of go forward to this weekend. What is the risk of putting the homes out there? Um, can he re-dislocate all those things? If he is like himself, then remember, he was dealing with an ankle injury before. The knee is, good, you know, I don't think he's going to play with a bracer. He actually may be healthier than he was before his injury. And, you know, like if this team is what it should be, then they should go to Kansas. They should go to uh, – to Tennessee and take care of
1: business. Yeah. There are a couple of, of teams I want to ask about that are playing really good teams and you'd th- think that's the team I want to talk about, but Baltimore is going to Cincinnati. Bengals 0-8. Zach Taylor, former Husker here, off to a, a really a really troubling start in Cincinnati. I know Andy Dalton uh, ha- hasn't had a very good season. What What's the, the circumstances around Cincinnati right now and, and everything from that franchise specifically surrounding Zach Taylor and, and what he inherited coming over?
4: Well, First of all, the most important thing is the front office is still very much behind him. And I know, you know, it's been frustrating and they haven't won a game and everything in the world has gone wrong. They still believe in Zach Taylor as their coach of the future. So even though the results haven't been what you wanted, you know, I don't get the sense that anyone is bailing on him. They do not have a lot of talent. That is just a fact. And, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, they haven't had their starting left tackle. Uh, who you know was their first rounder and Jordan Williams. They haven't had AJ Green the whole season. They Joe Mixon's been in and out of the lineup. They've had you know lost their other left tackle, Cordy Glenn. I mean, it is just unbelievable and incredible how many injuries they've had. And you know, at the end of the day, if they are going to draft a quarterback in the draft, this is where you want to be because they'll probably end up in the top three. As long as they can just hang on and build, you know, they're a team that could be something for the future. It's just you know, going through the actual process, um, it's it sucks. It's it's very difficult to lose like this, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. And then the other team I wanted to bring up to you is Atlanta. What's going on with the Falcons?
4: Well, nothing good. I mean and sort of the same thing as the Bengals except without the um, you know, sort of without the vote of confidence from from the front office because, you know, they there's not a reason to be. I mean, Thomas Dimitrov has has been in charge for a long time. They don't have a lot of talent. They lose a couple of guys from injury, and it's like the whole thing collapses. Obviously, you know, not what you want to happen. And um, you know, then I think Dan Quinn's status is is very very tenuous. Um, and so you know, he shuffled around some coaches before the the game this week. Okay, like we'll see if that, you know, who knows, but. If they lose to the Saints, we're going to do the same thing again where we just wonder about his job status. And I just, at this point, you know, the only reason to kind of delay it is if you want to move everyone, move on from everyone. At the end of the season, it's really the only thing
1: I can come up with. Yeah, and the Saints are nearly a two-touchdown favorite. Ian, we'll let you go with this. Yeah. You reported earlier. We usually talk NFL with you, but dipping into the college ranks, Deion Sanders, a guy that you know is, is around it and does does work with the NFL Network, ru- rumored to be a, a candidate for the Florida State job. What can you tell us there?
4: Yeah, I mean that's that is my understanding that he is a candidate for the Florida State head coaching job. You know, we'll see which way it goes. He's he's been involved with the program for a long time. He has, you know, kind of kept his foot in it. He knows all the people there. He has coached on the youth level for some time. Obviously not the same, but he has coached. I think as a recruiter he'd be incredible. Everybody loves Dion, and certainly he can get in the living room of any kid he would want to get into. And, you know, he'd have to hire good coaches, but it would certainly bring a buzz to Florida State. I would tell you that. Uh, It is – I'm – I don't know what's going to happen, but it has quickly become the most interesting head coaching job available right now.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It'll be interesting to follow that and see how that falls through. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, we always appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for the time. and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you.
4: All right, good stuff. Thanks for having me as always.
0: Husker Nation, Ben, certainly has been proud over the years of of the marvelous work Gary Pepin's done with track and field, a lot of championships both in the indoor and outdoor variety, probably – Volleyball would be right there. but Volleyball in the national scene would be bigger, but just as far as winning Big Ten titles since we joined this league,
1: probably track and field or. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's incredibly impressive the consistency um, that those programs have had, and the level to which that they're winning. And yeah, I mean, we haven't won very much in this conference, unfortunately. But you know, that's something that you can always count on the Huskers being more than competitive in and. You know, being right there at the end. Gary Pepin always says he judges the years.
0: Did he win a a league title, whether Mm -hmm. men's indoor or outdoor, women's indoor or outdoor? Did he win a conference title? He says that's kind of a benchmark. He builds up his teams to get score points at those conference meets. And and one of his great athletes down the the last couple years has been Angela Mercurio, who's been a terrific triple jumper. And she got an amazing honor a couple of weeks ago. She was named the 2019 NCAA Woman of the Year. What a great athlete but just as impressive with what she did off the field uh, uh, earlier today. Terrific video, just her kind of narrating her success at Nebraska, what what Nebraska meant to her, and some of the things that she did off the track while she was in Lincoln. Let's listen.
5: Hi, my name is Angela Mercurio. I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I ran track and I studied biochemistry and women's and gender studies. To me, Nebraska is the first place that I found myself in a way because I was 18, I left home, my mom dropped me off and turned around and went back to Canada. So even though I didn't expect to ever be in Nebraska, it turned out to be exactly where I needed to be. I really love chemistry, it just makes sense to me, and then the application of it in biology was just even more interesting. With women's and gender studies, I added it later in my education because to me, it explained a lot of things about myself. Wellness is about your whole life and you take in other parts of your identity, parts of how you grew up, how you interact with the world, and that's gonna incorporate into how healthy you are and how well you are. So right now I'm working at the Hospital for Special Surgery and I'm working with the Women's Sports Medicine Department and I'm hoping to first just specialize in women's health in some aspect, um, maybe sometime in the future pursue a sports specific field. The recognitions that meant the most to me at Nebraska were my academic All-American honors. Just knowing I had done that was very meaningful for me. My most memorable experience um, while a student athlete at Nebraska was winning Big Ten championships and it was kind of just validation that like, you've worked hard, you've earned this, you deserve to be here, it was great. It felt like I was also like giving back to my school and my coach and everyone who had been there for me. The community service that meant the most to me was interning for the YWCA, the Young Women's Christians Association. I started out teaching an after school STEM club, so science, technology, engineering, math, to a group of middle school aged girls. It was really rewarding to see like these young girls improve their kind of knowledge, but also interest in science. To me, my community service efforts, especially with the YWCA, were some of the most important things I did while I was at Nebraska. It's almost like, why am I studying or why am I kind of at this level where I have this influence and I can be this leader if I'm not carrying it into the larger community or even if i could have inspired one girl to you know study harder in math or continue studying in science because it's not easy to be the girl who loves science in middle school just to be able to encourage those younger girls in any way that i could you can have an impact if you want to and that's what made it all worth it in the end
0: those are the words of Angela Mercurio she's going to be honored at the Iowa football game they'll have her down on the field but she's now graduated and left Lincoln but just a great student athlete and You don't win something like this. There's one of these a year and across the country in all the sports could be a volleyball player, soccer, basketball, softball, all those things. She gets it and man, she's impressive. All the things she
1: did and Oscar Nation should be proud. When you think about just how many female college athletes there are in the country, you know, uh, that are on our campus and then our league and then uh, our region and then in the country, it's, it's amazing, you know, that, all these young people all across the country are are doing things, uh, you know, away from the the field of battle or, you know, the competition aspect of it. And um, there are some pretty amazing student athletes out there that that are accomplishing way more off the field, you know, doing things like like that, you know, going overseas and, you know, helping – build homes or whatever it is, uh, there's just no shortage of it. And for her to be the one selected, you know she's a pretty special person. Absolutely.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. Just listening to her tell her story was really impressive. We wanted to bring that to you here on a Sports Nightly Friday night.